Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. Welcome to the 35th episode of the Pulling Tart Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Kuhn. I really appreciate everyone tuning in. Please help grow the podcast by sharing it on social media, telling your friends about it, and by leaving a rating or comment. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at It's R.A. Kuhn. That's I-T-S-R-A-C-O-O-N. That way you won't miss any news about the Pulling Tart Podcast. I'd like to welcome on a very special guest, Nick Carey. Nick is the ticket sales, stadium operations, community relations executive for the Burlington Bees, single-A affiliate of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Can't wait to chat with Nick Carey right after this break. hop into it yep good to go all right perfect nick welcome on to the pulling tart podcast thank you so much for taking the time out of your evening let's talk about the name of your position of ticket sales stadium operations community relations executive uh i've been around the block a little bit those departments don't usually blend together in most milb front offices how did uh that position come to be uh well first and foremost bobby thanks for having me on uh listened uh, to a couple episodes so you know you've got a got another subscriber and follower now but yes. i appreciate you having me on <laughs> thank you um yeah it it's a unique as opportunity as comes in major league or minor league baseball and um really it's a culmination of everything that i've kind of grown for myself as an experience in minor league baseball but also uh you know kind of a blessing of of working in a small market Uh, burlington's the smallest full season market in minor league baseball uh, as as long as you know we're still affiliated and going and sure so when it comes down to positions, there there are no true departments. Uh, there there are five of us, and our groundskeeper is the the only one who's really guaranteed where he's got to be all the time. Right. Um, so there are two of us in ticket sales and operations, and I got to add the community relations aspect to mine as well. Okay. Um, so I take a lot of pride in that, but I just I've had ticket sales experience from the beginning, so. That fits into uh, being able to sell groups and and work in in that area, and then also take calls as they come in. So do inside and outside sales work, and then operations. I've gone from down and dirty to equipment work to on field stuff, and also some some stadium maintenance things as well. So that fits in. I have a journalism and communications background, so the community relations side of things kind of came a little more naturally than everything else. And I think it's the one that I take a lot of pride in with taking mascots out on appearances, going and uh, doing library appearances with players and school appearances, things like that. So it's an all encompassing thing, but with only five people full time in a front office, it's a necessity and something I, I definitely take pride in, being able to to lend a hand in all those areas all the time yeah yeah i mean being in a smart small market you really do do it all i mean when i was director of media relations and marketing i was still in the stadium uh sweeping the stands at two o'clock in the morning you know after after a big night you know so i i totally get that um and then, so I'll just jump ahead because it kind of rolls through. Um, you were a general manager. You know, speaking of front of small front offices and uh, and small markets, you were a minor league general manager for the Princeton Rays at 22 years old. That's number one, incredible. Uh, 
did you even feel you were qualified for that position at that time? Uh, some days, absolutely not. But uh, right. it was the most stressful year of my life. I would probably still be there uh, if you know some affiliation things had fallen the way that I wanted them to at that point. Um, so, you know, good luck to the Appy League going ahead as a as a wood bat league. And yeah, it's it's great that those communities still have baseball, but. Um, most days, yeah, I was really confident in my abilities in, in that role. I've described it to other people now as every day in terms of Parks and Rec, not wanting it to be my ice town. <laughs> uh, and I, yes. that was the, the big goal was just to make sure that first pitch was on time every day. If we were doing a giveaway, it was it was done. And then our players from from Tampa Bay were taken care of and okay. our manager and their coaching staff as well. So um, yeah, I went in having three years of, of experience working in college baseball, a summer of experience that I kind of grew for myself with a summer college summer woodbat team and then having been a full time intern with the Astros affiliate in the Appy League at that time down in, in Greenville where I also found a couple of my mentors in the industry. But I got the request for an interview and said, hey, I got to make an impression and put together about a 10-page document on how they had been operating for the past 15, 20 years, okay. how they could update, how I planned on doing that, and apparently it sold the board. Um, nice. For a year, I was I was the GM, and uh, like I said, probably still be there without some external factors contributing. And, sure. Um, yeah, I felt super qualified some days and then some days there were things coming out of nowhere that uh promises that my predecessor had made that i had no idea because they were handshake deals right um but made it through and yeah had a had a successful year and um they didn't particularly like the fact that i was an intern with the team that defeated them for the league championship oh yeah Okay, um, and I was at that league championship series because I'd thrown my full. I want to do everything I can in baseball chips in, and I was actually broadcasting for Greenville. Okay, I didn't have broadcasting, so I called the championship series that the team I was working for won against the team that I eventually became the general manager of. Okay, so wow. It's, convoluted as that sounds no uh, i i i follow yeah yeah um and just yeah saying that i had broadcasted and then turned around on a dime and five months later became the gm of the team okay still has me in awe today but uh yeah i would would have loved to have stayed but yeah still day to day as a one-man front office it was tough but still the biggest blessing i've had in my career for sure so you didn't have any other front office members, like, full-time? Not full-time. Uh, we shared our groundskeeper and director of stadium ops with the high school, since the okay. stadium is on the high school campus there. Okay. So once September came, the season was over, he flipped over, and he was working until the end of football season. Mm. And then uh, a little bit of winter maintenance here and there. I mean, I had to cross the street, go to a gas station, just to use the bathroom because we were completely shut down in the ballpark. Wow. Um, and my office actually sat in the press box, so I had to go through three sets of stairs just to get up there day by day. And yep. uh, it was, it's an odd setup, but yeah, I was the guy and had a couple interns and then about 10 to 12 game day staff that, that we employed. And okay. thankfully Tampa Bay sent their clubhouse manager with the team to, to take care of those needs. We okay. had a concession contract through the, the time I was there. So I didn't have to thankfully staff that, but um, yeah, it was just me and two interns once the season started. So you probably knew this question was, was coming, how did you pull tarp? We pulled tarp with whoever it, you know, you probably don't see it on anything about minor league baseball, but we pulled people out of the stands when we had to. Um, <laughs> I would, if I had to do a concession voucher and cover somebody's, yep. somebody's fries in a drink for helping us pull tarp, 
I would do it. Um, we had That's awesome. a couple grounds helpers that, uh, that were just hourly guys. So I don't know how many times we pulled tarp with six or seven people. But yeah. When I, when I got a little bit later in my career with a bigger front office, or at least the next year where we had 12 or 13, I'm like, this is easy. All right. This is, yeah, this is super easy. Yeah. Uh, I've done it with six guys. I did it in college baseball, and there are 35 guys who just like to grab a handle and not really pull, but everybody <laughs> looks like they're working. Yeah. So we can do it with six. We can we can do it anywhere. Uh, but yeah, that's that's how we did it. Um, only I think we lost only two games because we okay. couldn't get the tarp on the field completely. Okay. 35 game home slate. Still got the double headers in, but. Uh, yeah, tough tough situation. Still made it work. And yeah, minor league baseball. Man, just when you thought, um, you know, things couldn't be more difficult than Beloit, you're telling these stories, and uh, I mean, it takes me it takes me back to the good old days. But but yeah, I mean, in Beloit, we we're pulling tarp with four people a lot you know if you if somebody was at lunch or at a meeting or something like that it was four or five people on the regular so i can i completely understand but wow that's uh that sounds incredible so, sounds like uh you got to think outside the box to um to get yourself out of some sticky situations i'm sure oh yeah um and contract things like that and then Princeton actually shares a market with Bluefield, which mm-hmm. is like 15 miles away. So we had to actually like share ticket bundles. Um, they used their tickets in certain colors for different things, and we used ours just to keep things fair. But basically, wow. we had interchangeable tickets with another minor league team in our market. Wow, that's so, incredible! Uh, you, you talk about how uh, how those those deals go down and they stay in place year after year after year, and they get grandfathered in. Yeah, uh, I was still making season ticket roll or say season ticket bundles, counting off thirty five tickets, and just if I got stopped out or outside of like a rotary meeting, mm-hmm. because somebody knew who I was, and they'd say, "Can I get season tickets?" I have a bundle ready, and I'm like, I can take cash or a check, but <laughs> I can tell you your tickets here in this parking lot. Wow! Um, so it was really a throwback to, you know, to vintage, vintage golden age American baseball. But yeah, um, yeah, we shared that, and then we were featured on a on a show on the Vice Network that summer as well. Their uh, their rival show. They talked about the cup that the. Princeton and Bluefield teams played for. So I'm okay. in the background of a couple scenes of a network nice. TV show as well. And I'm like, if anything else could get lumped on to being a one-man front office in my first year <laughs> as a full-time employee in minor league baseball, go ahead, send a TV crew to my ballpark as well. Right. <laughs> That's great. I've heard some wild stories about the people working in the Appy League, but these are these are next level, man. That's crazy. Um so now you're in Burlington. What's it like working for Kim Parker, 2019 Rawlings Woman Executive of the Year? Uh, it puts 22-year-old general manager of a baseball team to a lot of shame. <laughs> basically work okay. for the top female executive in baseball mm-hmm. for, for 2019 and I'm sure she was in contention other years as well mm-hmm. I know she's been the Midwest League female executive of the year at least twice but it she's very gracious to how we contribute as a staff of, of five full time but it, it's still her and, and her work right. that's at the forefront and at the, at the face of Burlington baseball um, and she comes off the heels if she didn't have any more pressure of following up as general manager after her dad was general manager. Yes. So yeah, of all those things, um, we, I know we met a lot of numbers and improved on a lot of numbers in the the 2019 season and her first year, she did it like I did in Princeton, except she had a 70 game home season. Right. And was basically a one man front office with, some things and I mean she could tell crazy stories I think at one point her husband and wife 
her and her husband were a husband and wife team and they were doing some clubhouse work at the end of the season when they, they lost the clubby wow. staff. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a blessing to work for somebody like that for sure, because she knows how to do everything. So we're compatible that way as a, as a front office. And then, um, like my title says, we're, all in all the time yeah. doing one thing or another there's there are no real departments like i i can mow one day i run the team twitter account i'll also do some sales calls on a normal you know regular season game day but um yeah she allows kind of that collaborative effort as well so it's okay. very cool and it was a amazing honor i know as a staff just to have her get that honor because it it boost the prestige level for us as a front office as a whole absolutely and i i haven't seen kim lately but i met her before she was gm it was when chuck was her dad was still the general manager and um you know you just knew she was destined for great things because she had worked at that ballpark as ever ever since she was a little girl and um chuck's an awesome guy he was the epitome of a baseball lifer um oh yeah he and and i still i was looking at your guys's i don't know if it was instagram or twitter or what i still saw pictures of him like making appearances at the ballpark um but you know i he was what he how old was he when when he retired like early 60s probably right yeah he's um i mean Probably around there. Oh, you froze. Um, Burlington's an, an odd setup with the the visiting hotel for teams being in the Catfish Bend Casino Resort Complex. Yeah, not too far from the ballpark, and uh, so Chuck is over there. So if there is something that we need or we don't know about or it's something that Kim has not encountered in the operational side of things. He's one call away and he's like, all right, well, give me five, 10 minutes to get this done. And I'll zoom over there real quick. Okay. Yeah. uh, When I, I had to call him for something when I was in Beloit and, um, I called and somebody in the front office answered the phone and I said, yeah, can I speak to Chuck? And they said, okay, well he's out. Um, power washing the the stands right now um i'll tell him you call and he'll give you a call back i was like man this guy just does it all um yeah and to to think about uh the fact that we now we have a groundskeeper and there are two of us who handle those operational capacities and chuck was basically doing it as a gm with uh a official scorekeeper slash director of media relations and then kim doing the the sales and and yeah public relations and community relations part of that as well so uh yeah it's it's a testament to how much baseball has grown in burlington and uh, i know regardless of of whatever the talks are in terms of contraction and things like that baseball is gonna gonna keep going on and i know kim's a part of that and i know even vicariously chuck will be a part of that just oh, with yeah. his legacy and in, in the franchise oh i'm i'm sure and uh, you were talking about the the casino. Um, whenever I asked guys that played for Beloit, I said, where's, you, "Where's the best place to go on the road?" And they said, "All of them." They all said Burlington. And I was like, "Really?" And they're like, "They're like, yeah, the casino's right there." So, <laughs> yeah, uh, we won't can't mention that too much with the whole Rule Twenty One thing that uh, the players have to sign every year. But yeah. Um, no, that complex is really, it's become kind of an economic focal point in, mm-hmm. in town because even when we have people come through, I know I talked before our season was canceled with a group that does ballpark tours and they just pick a little circuit that they travel by bus every summer. And my that was my first recommendation. I'm like, they sponsor us, they sponsor our fireworks, but yeah. you're also a half a mile to three quarters of a mile walk from the ballpark. Mm -hmm. So you're just right there. You have restaurants, you have amenities, and then you've got the casino if that's your thing as well. So, um, 
Yeah, I didn't know when I read the book Class A several years ago, mm-hmm. and I read about a team staying in a casino, and I, was, I finally showed up in Burlington when I got the job here, and I looked around, and I was like, that's the casino. That's what the guy was talking about in yeah. Class A when he stayed with Clinton. All right, yeah. I get it now. So, yeah, it's a great complex, and uh, they do a lot for us, and, and we're... Uh, like I said, we're lucky that Chuck's over there because he can rush over when we need him sometimes as well. All right, great. So towards the beginning of your baseball career, you were the manager for the Middle Tennessee State University baseball team. And I didn't do any research, but exactly how many future big leaguers laundry did you do? Um, when I mentioned that, when I... Uh, you know, tweeted out that I'd, I'd be appearing on here. So I had to go back and, and look at the schedules from those three years I worked with the, the Blue Raider baseball team. Okay. And the one guy I was talking about was uh, writing a pitcher named Zach Curtis, who was a, was a I think, a sixth-round draftee by the Diamondbacks. Mm-hmm. And he went to rookie ball in the Northwest League put up the saves record after getting drafted. And then I think within less than a year, by the end of the next season, he was already in Arizona. Okay. Wow. Um, yeah. Then he went to Seattle and Philadelphia and I think he finished out his career with Texas. But aside from, you know, zooming to the major leagues that quickly, Zach's just a great dude, a great story. Um, so I, I went to a Nashville Sounds game when I was out of baseball for about mm-hmm. a year or so, and they they had him in AAA when they were a Rangers affiliate. Okay. Here comes Zach Curtis, and I'm shouting from the stands, <laughs> I did that guy's laundry like 30 <laughs> miles down the road there like you every go. day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it was uh, it was kind of a surreal experience, and, and it couldn't have happened to a cooler guy, but... Even going through the list, uh, found at least five guys Ooh. who, when they played on the road and were at MTSU, that was just part of our job as baseball managers, as student managers. Sure. So, yeah, aside from doing clubhouse ops, equipment, grounds work, operating the scoreboard, doing PA for ball ball and things like that, yeah, uh, get to see these other other great players from other schools come in as well. So had. Like, guy named Derek Lauer who appeared with the Padres last year who was at Kent State and played against MT and then Ryan Yarborough who's mm-hmm. kind of a hot pitching prospect still with the, the Tampa Bay Rays he yeah pitch against us at Old Dominion um, Justin Anderson with the Angels who who came out of UTSA and then Sam Coonrod from Southern Illinois and Phil Matten from Louisiana Tech who okay was in San Diego last year and Cleveland this year so uh, those were just guys that came in on the road, and I'm like, I probably washed their jocks and, and oh, their, yeah. their straps and hey. uh, their unis too. Hey, got to start somewhere, man, for sure. So, um, so you when you tweeted out that you were going to be a guest on the podcast, thank you for doing that, by the way. You said that you think that Joe Torrey should be the MLB commissioner. I'm interested to hear hear your thoughts on this. Why do you think Joe Torre should be the MLB commissioner? Uh, that started years ago as just a joke, I would say. I uh, <laughs> have not been a fan of the uh, two commissioners in my lifetime. and I haven't either. <laughs> yeah, I, um, for Bud Selig, for reasons of just being Bud Selig in the way he is, uh, you have to respect what he did for the game. You and then there are some things that a lot of people have looked past in, in recent years, uh, just kind of acknowledging the steroid era for what it was. And it's like, yeah, it's safe baseball, but yeah, we still have guys getting PED tests, losing 80 games a year. So. Right. Um, but no, I said Joe Torre just because at that time when I started joking about it, you could not imagine another guy to just pick as a baseball manager. Uh, the, Four World Series with with the Yankees, and I'm not a Yankees fan by any by any means. Mm-hmm. But then you kind of read into his history, and it's like this guy was an MVP. So to make that shift from manager and not like immediately hitting the 
autograph and trading card show circuit to shifting into the administrative side of the game. Right. Um, and I, I don't think since like at least Bowie Kuhn, there's been a MLB commissioner who's had playing experience at the professional level. True. So, um, I, that and it started out as a joke, but then you read into Joe Torrey and it's like, all right, this guy could actually probably do it. And he got as close to doing it as he could being basically the CEO of, of Major League Baseball for almost a decade right? Uh, between, between two commissioners. But that and everything that he's done philanthropically with his organization, mm-hmm. uh, the Safe at Home Initiative Against Domestic Violence after you know seeing a bit of that in his childhood, mm-hmm. even though not yeah. being as much a victim to it, but... Yeah, just a classy guy and uh, not being a fan of the, the two commissioners that have been around in my lifetime, kind of picking a guy that uh, thought fit the baseball side of the game, but also the, the Madison Avenue commissioner's office yeah. administrative side, too. All right. You sold me. I, 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 like, I like your take on Joe Torre as the MLB commissioner. Have you seen um, the last season of Brockmire at all? I have not. Brockmire is one of those shows for me, like Breaking Bad, where it, and I'm I'm a cinephile and and read into every movie and show that I get into. Mm-hmm. But uh, when Brockmire came about, I'm like, I gotta watch this. I got yeah. into this middle of the second season, and then it was one of those deals where I got busy and kind of fell off of watching it. But uh, not seeing that, I do respect all of Brockmire's takes on Joe Buck, though. Huh. Like, okay. Like the guy in his knowledge is is a play caller, but you can only get you know, used to uh, you know team you're you're rooting for getting subtly smashed by by Joe Buck's comments. So right, that's true. You're you're right yeah, in you know, that game, aspect. Game respects game when it comes to Joe Buck, but you still can get annoyed like Brock Meyer by him. Yeah, um, but in the last season. Um, I don't know how to say this without without ruining it for you. Are you gonna Are you gonna watch it? Or probably, but it won't be anytime soon. All and right. Even even knowing it, I'll watch it. So I'm, I'm okay. Open the plot so so the last season, Brockmeyer becomes the commissioner, and it's like, and it kind of hits close to home in the fact that he's trying these wild outside the idea or outside the box ideas to grow the fan base and it's just it's pretty hysterical honestly but but also it's just like oh man like that's that's kind of hitting close to home right now you know <laughs> but um so you've started a blog what made you want to start that what can people expect from it and where can people find it? All right, yeah. Well, there won't be as hot a takes as Joe Torrey for commissioner. No, you definitely should write that blog. Um, there are some, I mean, I throw some subtle things in uh, that, that are I think are questionable. But really, I've had a personal website. I have a degree in journalism from, from Middle Tennessee State University and grew up around journalism, journalism professors as well. And so... My website started out as just a portfolio for me to have something to send to potential employers because I wanted to work in journalism or I wanted to work in sports. And I've been able to create a crossover of those two things several times. But when it was kind of irregular in my posting until our season was canceled in Burlington this year, and then I thought... Why not just fall back on those that old sports editor, yes. the high school newspaper deal, and uh, do the most basic page filling column you can do, and that's a notebook column where you just pick out some little facts, facts and stats that you think people would be interested in. So yeah, I I published while we're recording or as we recorded I've published 41 little installments bi-daily since the season started nice. and they'll run until the end of the season but what to expect in, in reading those it's 
just a little bit of an intro of me recapping kind of mainstream news and then one, two or three things that I think have been overlooked in baseball in the previous 48 hours and showcasing what I can do journalistically that way, but also sure. just things that people should know. And then okay. highlighting a player, whether they're at the major league, minor league, or foreign leagues, and telling people why they should watch that particular player. And haven't had too many busts yet on on players to watch. All so right. uh, fingers crossed that that keeps up through the postseason. And then just doing a little random portion at the end where I kind of free fall and talk about anything that I want to talk about to do with baseball. And that's covered everything from movies to being a peanuts fan and how baseball plays into that. And then, uh, even stories as a often failing aspiring novelist that I've, you know, pitched to myself, but can't get pitched enough to, to sell to myself to write. And, uh, so that's all at my, personal WordPress site, and that's just my name, Nick Henry Carey, N-I-C-K-H-E-N-R-Y-C-A-R-E-Y at dot wordpress.com, and okay. that's the Nick Picking Notebook nice. series of, uh, of my things I think people should know about baseball that uh, aren't in the, the mainstream baseball news a lot of the time. Okay, perfect. I'll definitely tune into that. As you dive into uh, the hot take of Joe Torre being the MLB commissioner. Um, no, but seriously, I'll, I'll definitely look into that. I did read a little bit of it, and I found it extremely interesting. So um, I did want to – so you, you've you been around the block a little bit, man, and you've done a little bit of everything from what it sounds like. What's the strangest – fan interaction or um you know the strangest thing that's happened in a ballpark that you can remember that you were working at oh wow um if i count the fever dream that has been my career i i don't know from being an intern getting a championship ring with the team i was with as an intern becoming a gm at 22 Going, getting fired from my first job in baseball at 24, 23, 24, and then being out of baseball for 18 months, coming back in, having a full season, um, contending with everything in Burlington last year of being back in the game, and then going into 2020, looking good, and then the season getting canceled. Uh, that Sounds like a book pretty- to me. Yeah, that's not a normal career trend. Yeah. um, Individual fan interaction, top of my head, I don't know. I've been a mascot, at least five different mascot characters in in the teams that I've worked for. I've signed a lot of weird things from that were not baseballs to T-shirts to mini bats. Um, And I think the oddest interactions as a mascot are just the willingness of people with infants and babies sometimes to just hand their kid off yeah that's strange yeah okay you're like okay you just trusted me with this child but this mascot outfit only has three fingers and they're really (laughs) furry and kind of slippery and i have no idea what's been on this costume on the outside yeah if it smells anything like the inside i don't think you want your kid near it but sure um, makes sense to me (laughs) yeah there's that and just the um the general oddity that you get sometimes with, with autograph collectors mm-hmm. who are at the ballpark when the gate opens and they're staring at an empty dugout for a while and then they just want some things that aren't the typical rookie cards or cards from the team that have players previously been with. So um, just kind of those odd interactions you get with people. And I've you know, been a baseball fan since I was a kid. I thought I was going to be a football coach at one point. I thought I was going to be an archaeologist at one point. <laughs> uh, I thought I was going to be a detective at some point. So you just have uh, – you appreciate odd interests and, and things like that, but then you uh, you get into the baseball world and you see how many unique characters they are and, and how they make ballpark a great place. And mm-hmm. then you get the really weird side where um, – 
you're a 22 year old general manager and you have a talking mascot that wrestles during the off season in the same outfit. So, Whoa. Yeah. Uh, his name's Roscoe, the rooster of the Princeton <laughs> Rays. I'm sure he's going to be there. Yes. Whether they're, uh, you know, still, still the Rays brand, even though they're, they're moving into wood bat league ball instead of affiliated ball. But, uh, yeah, he's the only talking mascot I've ever encountered. And, wow. That is uh, strange. Tommy, the guy who performs as Roscoe and has for, oh, probably 25 years, is a semi-pro wrestler. So he does that. And nice. He does it in the, uh, in the chicken outfit as, uh, as a Rhode Island red rooster. So All right. Uh, yeah, of all the baseball oddities, I, I think I've run through the course of a lot of them for my career. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's so funny. So here's here's my take, and I think I tweeted this out a while ago. Um, so we all have to wear masks now out in public all the time, right? And so I compared that to like being in a mascot costume because when you pose for a picture, I had to pose for a picture for work the other day because I help out with the community relations and marketing for our insurance agency. And I was like, this is, this is a lot like being in a mascot costume because like I had to pose for a photo op and I smiled even though I was wearing a mask. And that's just like being in a mascot costume. And the fact like everybody wants to take pictures of you and you realize that you're smiling inside the mascot costume and nobody can see you oh yeah definitely um i found myself doing it i was on vacation last week and so i was taking taking part in a selfie and was required to have a mask on where we were and still like end of the day i've taken so many selfies my cheeks hurt but (laughs) i've had a mask on 98 percent of the time too so Right. Um, yeah, I've been in been in some really good mascot outfits where you had good visibility and then couldn't do anything else. And mm-hmm. then the inverse, where I could not see a thing, but it was a super mobile costume, and so just uh, definitely understand. Yeah, always smiling under the mask, always smiling under the mascot head, no matter oh, yeah. how bad it smells. Yep, absolutely. So we do have some questions from some fans and former guests. Um, cool. Adam and Naritone, I don't. I think this is probably a uh, a um, what's the word I'm looking for? An inside joke, I guess. Bottom of the ninth, down to your last strike, championship on the line. Who wins a fist fight, Bobby Melly or Robbie Tenerowitz? narrow it oh okay um so that is a loaded question because i know adam and aritone as a yukon fan and in some way shape or form and uh loving loving some bobby melly like he does i listened to his episode uh not too long ago but bobby's a cool dude i I had I was GM in Princeton, and both Bobby and Robbie came through there. And okay. Bobby's kind of a low key guy, but I could see him in a fight, definitely just putting down some wrestling moves on somebody. And then uh, Robbie, I will say, I'm extremely partial to as uh, as now a fan outside of the Tampa Bay Ray system. And okay, so. I think Robbie Tenerowitz has the fight in it. He reminded me of a lot, and Adam will get this, uh, of, uh, of 1986 Met named Wally Backman, who was uh, was known for his meltdowns as a manager, but he was just a tough, hard-nosed utility guy. And uh, the funniest story with Robbie, I think we're past the statute of limitations on anything like this, even <laughs> though it's not legally based. <laughs> okay. Um, I mentioned having to go across the street to use the restroom when the ballpark was shut down in Princeton. Mm-hmm. But that was also a place in the Appalachian chain called Sheets that you find in West Virginia and, and Pennsylvania. Yeah. I love Fantastic. Sheets. Yeah. They're, everybody who's been to a Sheets loves Sheets, and that's where I think we kept 
we probably boosted their profit margin 60% every season oh, with yeah. players in and out of town. Um, Robbie was there with a couple guys and they're just, they're ball players. They're, you can tell a ball player a mile away if you know mm-hmm. baseball. And, yep. Um, they probably were talking a little bit louder than they should have. I don't know what was said. I wasn't there, but I'm walking up to the gate, coming back from like one of those rare times where I got to leave the ball, leave the ballpark, go to lunch, mm-hmm. and this extremely irate husband and wife corner me by the ballpark gate after I walked in behind Robbie and this other group of players, and they say, "Those players are do they play here?" And I'm like, "Yeah, they do." <laughs> They said, all right, we need to talk to your manager. And I'm like, all right, well, I am wearing a team polo. I, <laughs> I get this. I'm a young guy. Yeah. Like, I'm the general manager. And then it's like a double take of, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, I'm, like, yeah, yeah, sure. I'm the yeah, general yeah. manager here. <laughs> and they said, well, those ballplayers are using profanity in public. I thought, we are in the Appalachian. We're in the bu- part of the Bible Belt. Yep. I get that. Yep. Get, like, no, we want an apology, like a public apology from them. I was like, those guys are in and they're probably getting ready for BP right now. And if I go in, my manager here sent from Tampa Bay is going to take a large bite out of my ass. Yep. Yep. And I said, I am extremely sorry for that. They're, they're 19 to 20 year old ball players. They're young guys. It just happens. I'm extremely sorry. And if your kids were there, I, I apologize. Um, but there's not much I can do beyond that, except for for if I get a chance, I can talk to him and just say, "Hey, conduct yourself a little better in public." Sure. Um, that night, I did mention it to to our manager, and he's like, "Yeah, they're just ball players being ball players, whatever." Mm-hmm. And and Robbie kind of corners me. I was the on field MC, and he's like, did "Somebody really complain about us cussing? We weren't even cussing in public." Mm-hmm. Robbie's got a little bit of a spark in him. He was, I think he was an undrafted guy out of uh, either UCLA or University of California, Berkeley. Okay. So he got a little mad about that, and he hits a go-ahead home run. There we in go. In the eighth inning, and I'm waiting to go on for our last on-field promotion because I'm an MC and a GM and everything else. Yeah. He comes Jeez. up to the fence, points through, and he goes, you can tell those fucking people. I can cuss all I want because I just had a go-ahead home run. <laughs> and I was like, I feel you, man. Yes. We're winning. We're going for a playoff spot. I get you, dude. It's fine. And uh, so I was like, all right, maybe maybe I uh, should probably tell tell somebody to tell somebody that uh, those guys got caught cursing in public again so we can get some more yeah. offensive output out of these guys. Right. No, uh, if you look up Robbie Tenerowitz, he's uh, he's been a really productive player coming from from his background and being a non drafted guy. So I know Adam and Aritone love some Bobby Melly, but uh, Robbie Tenerowitz would win in a fist fight hands down because Adam probably recorded at least two Rob- Robbie Tenerowitz fist fights in Ooh, Bowling Green. Okay, he made him record those. Oh yeah, okay, makes sense now. Okay. Yeah, I, I wasn't exactly sure who that was, but now now the name sounds familiar. Now that you say it out loud, okay. Um, sheets for the win, by the way. Um, right here we have Royal Farms and Wawa, and it's just not the same as Sheets. Sheets, you can get literally anything you want, twenty four seven. Oh yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm in between Missouri and Tennessee most of the time, so now I'm seeing, uh, I think, Quick Trips are the big thing. Yeah. And Quick Trips doing that counter-serve thing as well now. So if you find one, that's just where you stop and and get gas and a sandwich and everything else that you could probably want from a convenience store that sells too many food delicacies. Yes, absolutely. Okay, and we do have one more question. Uh, I don't know who this is, honestly. So what steps is the team and community taking to handle a likely future without affiliated baseball in Burlington? Ooh, tough questions last. Yeah. Um, And just out of respect for Kim and our board of directors, I can just say that we 
I, I can't say I am just because uh, there's so many things I can do from my position, but I know our board of directors and, and Kim and the higher-ups in Burlington baseball are, are doing all that they can to ensure baseball in one form or another continues in Burlington. And okay. our hopes are certainly to have affiliated minor league baseball since it's been in and out of Burlington since um, 1947, 48. Mm-hmm. And we've had pro baseball in some form since 1888. So uh, it's a long legacy of baseball. And sure. I know it's a community fixture here, so I can say probably the best steps that are being taken are being taken at those higher levels. And our board's comprised of some community members that are, are well tied into uh, everything that is going on with contraction talk, but uh, they're doing everything they can as well to make sure we keep baseball in Burlington somehow. Okay. All right. Perfect. So, Nick, where can the listeners find you on social media? Uh, I would say Twitter is Twitter and LinkedIn are probably the the best and most successful for me. My LinkedIn takes a little bit of searching because I discovered a few years ago that there are a lot of Nick Carries out there in the world. But sure, okay. on Makes LinkedIn sense. I'm Nicholas H Carey, and on Twitter I'm at Nick Carey seventeen seventy six. And outside of outright patriotism, that those are my high school. Sports numbers. Okay. Together. I was 17 in baseball and 76 in football. So uh, when I formed a Twitter handle, that's just what it's been. And I, it's Nick Henry Carey. I started using my middle name when I got that GM job, not to be official, but to make sure <laughs> I could kind of filter out who was following me on social media a little bit. Okay. And look for me. And um, then I do a little bit on Facebook, but it's made. You know, mainly close friends and family. So, sure. professional stuff. It's between uh, Twitter and LinkedIn, and then there are links to weird pop culture stuff I'm into, and nice movies and IMDb references and everything else there. Ooh, speaking of IMDb references, so I actually have a uh, film minor, uh, so I'm big, big into uh, to film and uh, media and stuff. So. Ben Affleck and I just I just uh retweeted this not too long ago. Uh hold on, let me find this. I don't think we were following each other then, so this might be might be news to you. Okay, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon were uncredited extras in which baseball movie? Oh, uh, they were in Field of Dreams. Yes. At, at Fenway, because they're both Boston guys. Yeah. I only know that. I, uh, I listened to Bill Simmons' Rewatchables podcast. Okay. When they talked about Goodwill Hunting, they talked about those two and being uncredited in the background. So, yeah, um, yeah, they're, that I, I'll absorb anything like that, just <laughs> random trivia. Um, that podcast, they call it, I think, Online Bullshit Research Corner or something like that. Nice. So, um, yeah, that's, now that you remind me, I was like, yeah, that's kind of a cool fact that they were there and that they actually, you know, got the filming permission because uh, minor league or major league baseball was pretty leery about just not having the movie be about a team altogether but just having film shot in their ballparks right right yeah i actually uh two years ago apparently i was looking on imdb and like just like stumbled upon that so okay but you were already on top of it man you're good oh, no it's it's all due to the rewatchables podcast so free <laughs> free promo to them but uh before you listen to any of those, listen to a Pullen Tar podcast. Absolutely. You said it. You said it, Nick. So you've listened to a couple episodes. You've had some friends on some episodes. 
You know how I end every episode. What's the best walk-up or warm-up song you've heard during your time in minor league baseball, and whose was it? Uh, I have to remember the name because there were two guys that looked exactly alike with Burlington last year, and I think it was a guy named Morgan McCullough. Okay. Who, I remember right, was an Alabama guy. Could be wrong on that, but he used the song Traveler by Chris Stapleton. Oh. And not a huge Chris Stapleton-style country fan, but I was like, for a minor league baseball player, that really works. Because yeah. Because this kind of sums up minor league lifestyle. So go, go Morgan McCullough if that was him. And um, early in the season, I think our catcher out of the University of Michigan, Harrison Winson's uh, great uncle or, or some sort of close relative passed away, so dedicating his walk-up song to that relative he used, New York, New York, by Frank Sinatra, and uh, it was cool for about the first week, and he was like, all right, he went with Sinatra, and it has some meaning. Then he went into a slump near the end of the season, and you're like, all right, maybe you need to change your walk-up music, yeah. because everybody loves old blue eyes, but we, we can't handle that when we're in a losing streak and you're slumping, dude. Uh, but that, and I'm a, I'm a Zeppelin fan, so I connected with a uh, Kansas City kid named Noni Williams who used Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin Okay. A while. And I think that was like his second or third, but that's the one he finished the season with. So that, and growing up in Missouri, being a Royals fan, I had that he was a Kansas City guy, so I was like, all right, like, you get some brownie points before I even get to know you at all. And then you use Zeppelin something. All right, I'm going to watch your career a little bit closer yeah. than sometimes probably. Oh, yeah. All right. Perfect. So I think out of all those, we'll, we'll ride out with uh, Traveler by Chris Stapleton. And, uh, yeah, if if anybody wants to head on to Spotify, there's a, there's a playlist um, with all of the walk-up songs that my guests choose. Um, just search Pulling Tart Podcast uh, playlist. It'll be there with all the other uh, episodes of the podcast. And uh, that's it, man. Thank you so much, Nick, for, for taking the time out of your evening to chat with me and come on to the Pulling Tart Podcast. Uh, I really appreciate it, and I'm sure the listeners will as well. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. I'm obviously a big podcast fan, like I said, a new subscriber as well to Pulling Tart Podcast. Perfect. So. Uh, yeah, hopefully be back on sometime and, and have some more random odd stories of, of Love being a relatively young baseball lifer. But All I appreciate right. you having me on, and uh, yeah, best of luck going ahead. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Here she comes and then she's gone You've listened to the Pulling Tarp Podcast, distributed by Stoveleg Media. Make sure you check out our page at stoveleg.com to learn more about Bobby and the rest of the show. Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation.